about your journey. As far as I know, you're originally from University of Washington and you were being involved um, in this extremely interesting scientific work before you jump into experiment. Why did you decide to prefer more entrepreneurial journey to academia path? And in terms of your current day, uh, do you consider your acumen more like a scientist and researcher or entrepreneur and problem solver. So why did I choose entrepreneurship over like a more yes. academic path? And then do I see myself more as a scientist yes. or more as an entrepreneur or problem solver? So the first to answer the first question, um, I accidentally made experiment. I, I don't know if I intentionally tried to go down this entrepreneurship path it was more of me and my co-founder and a few friends. We had created this therapeutic uh, for anthrax for the U.S. Army. And shortly after we published that paper, um, my brother, who was 18 at the time, was the first author on that scientific paper. And I was like, what? My brother, who's just starting college, can publish a paper in the same level journal as my professor? That's kind of weird. Um, or surprising. And from there, I was like, oh, the drug we made for anthrax, could it be used for other bacteria? And we found that staph epidermidis, which is a species of staph, and anthrax, or bacillus anthracis, those two bacteria share a very similar virulent factor where they both create this protective coat on the outside of the bacteria. So when it enters your body, your body's like, oh, it's just sugar, we don't need to fight it. Um, but if you're able to cut off that sugar, then your immune system will be like, oh, this is bad, we should like fight it off. And our drug, what it did is it cuts off that sugar coat. So when I went to my professor and said, hey, Dr. Breyers, I have this drug, I wanna see if it can cut off the sugar coat on staph and prevent staph infections. He was like, that's cool, but where are you gonna get the money? The system doesn't fund people like you you're like 20 years old, don't have a PhD, asking for less than $10,000. And that's how we got into experiment. It was like, let's try to solve our own problem to get money for ourselves. And through that discovery, we found that pretty much every scientist out there has a similar problem. So did I intentionally leave academia to go the entrepreneurship path? No, not really. I just took a detour and then I never went back. <laughs> okay. Um, I believe, uh, while I'm a bit more uh, tech personality and I prefer to evaluate university ecosystem more like from incubator uh, perspective, at the same time, I'm a huge advocate of how university provide us with a uh, 
uh, deep tech and scientific startups. At the same time, experiment is more about underrepresented research. How did you find that we have a gap in terms of a presentation of particular research? And where do you see a weakest part of this system? Why some researchers have no opportunity to get funding and being presented? If you look at, I guess I'm just looking at data in America. If you look at the number of dollars available from the NIH, I think it's, I haven't looked at these numbers in a long time, but I remember it to be like $30.1 billion that the NIH gives out. You look at the number of proposals submitted, I looked at these numbers 10 years ago, so like in 2000 and then 2010, the number of proposals doubled, but the budget remained the same. So what happens when the number of proposals double and the budget remains the same? A lot of good ideas that would have been funded in the system in 2000 are not funded in 2010. And in 2020, it's probably even worse. Um, and so I think we discovered the gap originally because I couldn't get money for my own research. And it was only through that that I discovered, wait, this like system that maybe was kind of working in 2000 or whatever before my time is not really working for scientists today. But no one really sees that as a crisis. Everyone's kind of like, oh, it just is what it is. Um, Recently, I went to a meeting and there was a woman there at the meeting. I think she was a sponsor of that meeting. She's the dean of a department at an Ivy League institution. And she came up to me and she was like, Cindy, I really appreciate the work that you've done in the experiment, but can I just ask you a question? I was like, yeah, you can ask me whatever you want. And she was like, I think her question was something around, do you agree with the statement that if the government was doing what it was supposed to be doing, experiment shouldn't exist. And no one had ever asked me that question before. And I, I had time to marinate on that for a while. And I tend to, I agree and disagree. I like agree that a lot of this higher risk research that's costs less than $10,000 should have a, there should be a resource within the government to fund this. Maybe there was in the past, but there isn't, doesn't seem like there is today. Um, but I disagree with her because I think experiment, there's a certain feature of experiment that provides something that the government has never provided well. And I'm not saying the government can't provide it. It's just I've never seen it happen, which is this like um, personal connection between the person doing the science and the person reading about the science as if they were like friends that could get a beer together, get a coffee together. Um, and that connection I think is really special and can be very meaningful. And that connection is the definition of jelly. You mentioned the very important uh, moment that uh, if government have done its job, uh, probably um, experiment could and not exist. So my question is, um, in terms of initial vision of experiment, how did you plan to screen and provide wetting of uh, researchers? Because I believe there are just an extremely huge flow of different kind of uh, researchers. Did you plan to publish everything 
and it's up to market and uh, funders, or you have some kind of a vetting mechanism? So I'll tell you how we do it today, and then I'll tell you how we did it when we first started, which is not too different. Today we vet for clarity. So like, are the words clear? Can someone understand what this person is saying? Scientific accuracy, so are all of the scientific claims in this project page backed up by some peer-reviewed paper? And then feasibility, so is the amount of money you're asking for enough to do what you say you're gonna do? We don't, we don't pass any judgment on is the work important? Um, is, yeah, we don't, we don't think that is, uh, that is our place. We're not a funder, we're a platform, right? And so we play a different role than, let's say, a National Science Foundation or National Institutes of Health where they are actually distributing money. For us, we, we're just looking for, is it science? And if it's science, then, yeah, let the people decide. If it's not science, then it doesn't belong in, in the space that we're creating. Um, and then when we first started, this process was very similar, except for we weren't able to communicate it as clearly as to what our criteria were. But I don't think much has changed. We, one other thing to note is that if the research involves human subjects or vertebrates, we do require an IRB or a, I forget what it's called, IUCAC, the ICUC for animals. Um, and that has to come from an institution. And one thing I would really like to see happen in this community or this space of scientific community is for us to create a universal IRB or make these types of um, vetting systems, these vetting of ethics and methods be more accessible to people outside of institutions. Uh, you already mentioned uh, some numbers in terms of a gap we have in research funding. Uh, based on your statistic, what niches and types of researchers are mostly underrepresented? Maybe it's chemistry, physics, neuroscience, or something else? Probably the fields where the field isn't well-defined yet. So I guess when I was in college, 2007, 2011, that was like when synthetic biology was just starting to be a thing. And so how is the government supposed to know to fund a field of research when the field of research was just born yesterday? It's like, I don't know. I wouldn't say it's impossible, but in order to be a resource or institution government ready to support those kinds of ideas, you need to establish a fund to like fund things you don't know about yet. Um, so there's that kind of stuff, like new fields that pop up where you just don't know next year what new field, what new technology is going to create what new field and what that field is going to require in terms of financial resources and human resources. And then there's this other category, and I think we see this other category a lot on experiment, which is um, really important science that affects a very small number of people, or it's unclear if it affects anybody at all. So um, the one that affects a small number of people is rare diseases. So if a rare disease affects 
100 patients. It's very hard for the government to justify investing in that or um, a pharmaceutical company to justify investing in that. So we see that those types of projects get funded on experiment quite often. And then there are other things that are um, more basic research. So we want to sequence the genome of the Joshua tree from the Joshua Tree National Park. What kind of uh, applications will that give us? I don't know. No one knows. Maybe nothing. But it is really important for us to document the genome of that plant and every other plant and every other species. Uh, and so we see genome sequencing of species as a pretty common project on experiment. I would love to tap a very important topic for me uh, as a uh, product of a homeschooling and self-learning. You on set what you would love to see that everyone can be scientist and it was a part of experiment motto and mission as well. How do you define uh, democratization of science for yourself? Uh, do you see it as a more kind of an opportunity for existing students and researchers or you would love to see a situation where more people, even without particular degree or access to academia world, will be able to contribute researchers due to the fact that they have enough skills, uh, experience, knowledge, intelligence. For instance, I had a talk with uh, some extremely uh, smart person who became a robotics uh, inventor around like 10 years old and already worked in IBM in 14, even before became a student. So it's really about kind of democratization people for people even without any connection to university. So how do you see democratization of science and everyone can be scientist motto? I think science, science is a, is a way of life. Um, maybe some people think science, being a scientist is a profession, which it is, and there is value to being a professional scientist, but you don't have to have a degree to do science. To do science, you have to know how to ask questions. You need to know how to use the scientific method to frame your questions and test those questions. And then you need to know how to run your experiments to collect the data and analyze that data and share what you discovered. And if it's important to the scientist or the creator to broadcast that to other people, so to show other people what you found. You don't need a degree for that. You don't need an, you might need resources like uh, some science is more expensive than others, but I think the reason why I believe that anyone should be able to be a scientist is because, I don't know, why not? <laughs> okay, um, how do you think, um, uh, do we have um, uh, projects, platforms dedicated how to be uh, uh, 
ethically and professionally correct researchers? Because you mentioned that uh, being scientist is, is, is about data collections, like a data scientist uh, at the same time is about some scientific uh, experience, knowledge and uh, methods and procedures. So do we have a platforms, uh, open platforms and knowledge how to actually collect the data, validate it and turn it into actual experiment? Yeah, so how do we know if the science is good? Um, I mean, good is something that humans understand. I don't think dogs or cats or like any other life form on the planet is like, can do science. I think humans are the only ones that can do science. And to do science well, or to do good science is dependent on what the other humans around you think is good. So what you all establish as quality, right? Um, do we have platforms for that? I think universities are platforms. You go to university, there's some standardized uh, understanding of what is good, what's a hypothesis, how you test that, um, the statistics behind analyzing your results. But I think in this dream world that I'm imagining is you don't have to go to this one corner, which is University of Washington has their own corner in the U district of Seattle to get that knowledge. You should be able to open up your laptop or your phone and connect to the internet and get that information. And I don't see why, why we need to lock this information into institutions or companies or countries or languages. Um, it sh should be something that's universal and belongs to everybody. Uh, which key lessons have you learned while working on experiment? Which key lessons you uh, have before you started working on Jelly? Mm. Before I started working on Jellies, I guess like what did we learn going into Jelly? I think when you're trying to build something within a within a community or within a infrastructure that already exists, um, you often get like feedback or criticism that's like, oh, this thing that you're trying to make already exists and like somebody else has already made it before you. So why do you need to make it again? And I think for, for the average person, they would just be like, oh, um, I'm trying to let's, I'm trying to sequence like this caterpillar has already been sequenced. Okay, I'll just move on to something else. But there's something there that's really special about this like new person trying to sequence the caterpillar again. You can sequence it faster. You can sequence the DNA to be more in depth. You can characterize the caterpillar in certain ways. And maybe this isn't a great example, but I think the lesson that I took from building experiment is that if you, if you as an entrepreneur, you as a human being see a better way to do something. And maybe you're not able to describe that in words yet, but you know deep down inside that there's a better way and you can create that better way. It's better to just try and fail 
than to like not try it at all. And I think that's one of the things that I carry with me with Jelly now is like our tool turns PDFs into structured data. So you like turn a PDF scientific paper into a web page. And a lot of people are like, why do you need that? I can already read a PDF. But that's, I think, because uh, it's hard for people to want things that they've never seen before. Um, and so if you are able to see a way towards making something that you, you want yourself and you know a lot of other people will want, doesn't matter what everyone else says about like not needing it. They're saying they don't need it because they don't know what they need yet. Um, so for a new entrepreneur, I would say if your gut says to go in a certain direction, just, just like ride that out all the way instead of listening to like naysayers. Uh, I believe that uh, most of the details regarding jail is under, uh, under NDA, so I don't want to tap it in any way. But in short, what's the key difference changes you would love to uh, use in jelly in comparison to experiment? What did you change uh, in your approach uh, to platform building and solving this problem? Yeah, so I think one of the faults, one of my faults is that I haven't been as transparent with the broadcasting of what we're doing. So it might appear to the public like we're trying to keep things hidden, but we're really trying to keep nothing hidden. Um, so I really, anything that you want to ask me about Jelly, I'm happy to tell you and I'm happy to tell anybody. Um, and it really helps when you like interview me or when people ask me questions because it helps me understand what people want to know. Jelly, so what Jelly is, is Jelly is a word that was created by one of our friends um, when we were at Experiment, which is meant to capture the essence of what you feel when you see science happen or what you feel when you've made a discovery and you share it with another human being. So when uh, Curiosity rover landed on Mars and tweeted, uh, Gail Crater, I am in you, and then 60,000 people retweeted that, that feeling of, look, humans did a thing that's never been done, and we learned this new thing, uh, that's the feeling of jelly. And you get that in bits and pieces by doing science, by reading research papers, by I don't know, taking medicine like Tylenol, where you're like, oh, science did this thing that's really meaningful, and it like changed everything in for humanity. And so for Jelly's purpose really is to capture that feeling. And one, capture it, and then two, deliver it to as many people as possible. Um, and for us, I think, I don't think it's for us like Jelly, but like for the scientific community, that means um, sharing the scientific process more openly and in a more granular way. So we like to think of this new world where science is captured in this smallest atomic unit. What that smallest atomic unit looks like, I think is still up for contention, um, but it could be a data set, a method, a hypothesis, and in this new world, 
scientists will log these atomic units of information, or I like to call it stuff. And then when you have, think you've made a discovery, you line up all of these atoms into a story. And that's get, what gets broadcasted to your peers today and your peers 100 years from now or 100,000 years from now. Um, so that's like, that's what we're trying to get towards. What we're doing today is just, let's make it really, let's make it a joy to read PDFs. Yes, that's brilliant. Uh, one of the things I love uh, about Jelly, what you've started with uh, community and you're trying to play in around, uh, you're gathering different feedbacks in order to accumulate your vision. What type of people uh, surround you? Is it more about inventors, scientists? What kind of people uh, drive forward uh, with movement, what we call Jelly? Yeah. Hmm. So one thing that we're doing differently with Jelly than we did with Experiment is we're inviting in anybody, any science tool creators that are building anything, even if it's competitive to us. So if you're building something very similar to us, I want to get to know you even better. And I want you to bring you into this community. I want to show you everything that we're doing. And hopefully they'll also show me some of the things they're doing. And I want to riff off of each other. Um, I think that's one of the things that we saw early on an experiment in like 2012 when we were starting, there was this community of founders that were starting, but then when everyone ended up raising venture capital, everyone like kind of went into their own silos and then became very secretive, which I don't think is a very, it's like one way to do it, but I don't think that is how we're going to achieve this mission of open sourcing science. Um, and so what that means for us today is we have the Slack community. I just checked today. We have 280 people in that Slack. Um, and that Slack is constantly growing. And the people that I, I think we're trying to attract are people that are optimistic about building this future. Um, and even if you're not optimistic about building this future, it's, it's totally okay to just lurk in this, in this space. Um, but to bring together all of the people that believe we can do better and that together we will do better, build better tools, build a kinder community, um, make science more efficient, to put all these people together and let them, let them make what they want to make. Um, and I think that even if Jelly as a corporation doesn't succeed, that community or those connections will remain beyond, probably beyond my lifetime. Uh, you mentioned that you're open to connect any kind of a, a science tools creators, even if it's even some kind of competitors. So um, I have a question. Uh, have you ever thought about some kind of a, a coalition for open science? Because, for instance, we had talked with Wikipedia and behind Wikipedia, we have a Wikimedia Foundation. And in terms of many uh, open source projects, we have a, some kind of a movement behind which bigger than initial project, which encompass the whole philosophy and some kind of a sub-projects, uh, partners, organizations, institutions, and so on. Have you thought about something like that? I think that would be really cool. Um, I don't think it's something that I... I think 
it's one of those things that I think will happen organically. Um, do we need to put formal structure around it? Maybe. Um, but I think the first step for us, or the first step I would like to see this community do is just um, come together more often. And that could be virtual, that could be in person. Um, scientists come together really often, like once a year for a conference, and there isn't really an equivalent for what people are calling like meta science or like the science of science um, that brings in, I think, all of the all the perspectives that we need to take a holistic approach. Let's talk about um, science uh, on demand and decentralization. Uh, you mentioned that you had talks with some people from uh, institutions and maybe close to government and universities. Currently, we face a significant trend in, in, in terms of how we try to decentralize healthcare, learning. We have a human diagnosis project which crowdsource patient data. We have a, a collaborative project of data scientists. Do you think what uh, is an easy task to uh, make science more open. I mean, not only uh, involvement of people, citizens and peers, but institutions, how universities and existing ecosystem will perceive your platform. So the question, is it going to be difficult to make science more open from an institutional standpoint? Um, yes, I mean, in mo is, very often we see that institutions are pretty conservative in terms of uh, uh, new tools on the market and they prefer a bit more closed uh, and you're about going open and while we have some kind of the first steps in this direction, it still happen a bit slowly. So what's your forecast yeah. and feeling about this movement? I think being... But I think one of the things that maybe people don't expect that I say is I think science should start closed always. Maybe not always, but 99.99% of the time. Um, so like even though our code is open source and anyone could run an instance of Jelly within an institution, within a corporation, we've built it in a way that if you do run it, it's very private. So um, if an institution wanted to run an instance of Jelly and let's say host all of the dissertations from their uh, PhD students. They could do it and keep everything private and it will be, our tool will be serving its purpose. Um, and the reason why I think that's important is because I think we need to, as tool makers, meet humans where they are. As long as humans are the ones doing the science, we need to build tools that serve humans. Maybe someday in the future machines will be doing science, but we're not really there yet. Um, and so as long as humans are doing science, humans have, I think it's a feature, not a bug, which is humans are scared of putting their selves out in the open, scared of putting their work out in the open, scared of being critiqued. So what Jelly as a tool is trying to do, or what we as creators are trying to do, is make people feel really safe to put their stuff there in private first. Because my hypothesis is if you put stuff in private there, then it's much more likely that in five years and 10 years, maybe when you're dead, you're willing to press a button and let it all be open. 
So that's like my prediction for how we're going to get to an open world is by starting closed. Um, I would love to ask you about creative ways to promote uh, science. Even in Jelly community, uh, I found many examples how to pair uh, science with art, creativity, gamification, some funny application, uh, which uh, pair, for instance, uh, artistic pictures with signs and, and different stuff. Uh, what's your favorite um, example of such apps with uh, could involve more people a bit far from science initially, uh, being involved more in, in science for engaging in entertaining way, maybe some applications, platforms, tools you like? Huh. What tools do I use? Hmm. It's a have to think about that more. I think one of the tools, one of my favorite tools, which is dumb, is like pencil and paper. So one of the ways that I started doing this a few months ago, like if you look to the left side of me right now, it's like all sketches of bugs and birds. And I think that's one of the easiest ways for people to get into science is just like go out and observe and draw. Um, and I used to do this every morning because I thought it was so scary. Like I, to this morning, I'm like, Cindy, you must draw a bird. But what if I draw a bird and it's bad? Um, but then I found that by drawing that bird, it isn't that hard. And like, you end up understanding more about the life form that's like outside of your window. Uh, I don't know if that answers your question, but, uh, art is a big part of, what I am trying to do. And I think it's way, it's playing a way bigger influence on me for jelly than it ever did with experiment. Um, and I think that's because a lot of originality comes from creating art and also because I think I view like what we're doing as something new, not necessarily something, something iterative, but like something new. And if you want to make something new and make something original, it has, it doesn't come from data. It comes from like your, sounds silly, but like comes from your heart. And I think that's why in random, you'll see a lot of times the random channel in the Jelly Slack, you'll see me post like silly stuff. <laughs> uh, since you mentioned art uh, is a creative way to inspire even scientific projects, uh, based on your environment, how many uh, scientific guys have a hobbies related, for, for instance, to a classic music or more and less comprehensive types of art, for instance. It's, for, it's about me, for instance. How many people yeah. in your environment have such kind of hobbies or interests? I think the many, many scientists that I look up to have an artistic side to them. Um, it's not always it doesn't always come out in creation. Um, oftentimes it comes out in collection. So for example, I'm thinking about one of my professors at University of Washington who studies material science on like the nanoscale. And if you go into his office, he just has 
a collection of all these shiny green beetles, which like doesn't really have anything to do with his daily work, but is like peripherally related. And then I've noticed that many professors that I like uh, are also really avid bird watchers. So they'll spend like all of their free time uh, going out to look for the birds, listen to their songs and things like that. And then the last thing I'll mention is um, a lot of scientists that I really respect have a like, I don't know if it's a, it's like a desire to explore. Um, so I'm part of the National Speleological Society, which is the largest caving organization here in America. Um, and a lot of cavers that I know are scientists, um, but I think caving and like exploring these spaces that no one's ever been in makes them better at doing science, even if their science isn't cave related. And one of the last questions, uh, there is an opinion that there is a gap uh, between universities and real world challenges. So basically people who are mo uh, mostly spend time as students and had no enough practice as interns or involvement and in working in companies or uh, startups or technologies uh, feel a bit lost in real life. Uh, over your journey, have you felt that um, you lack particular skills, knowledge or experiences after you jump from uh, research uh, uh, work uh, to more entrepreneurial journey, or actually not, you're not agree with such statement. Like certain skill sets in academia don't help you in the real world? I, I don't mean uh, uh, don't help, but maybe lack of a comprehensive uh, uh, completeness of your acumen, I would say. Hmm. I think within academia, there's a sense of like, you could become an expert in a certain field. Um, and once you're an expert in that field, you like sit on the ex in the expert chair. In the real world, I don't see that as much. Like even, I don't know, in the business world, you could be like CEO of a thousand person company. And if you go and look at that person, what made them successful often is because of their like beginner's mindset. So they have this like mindset of like, I am always a student. I am a student of life. Um, and I see that a lot in some of my peers that have gone on to be pretty successful in startups. And then in academia, I see that from time to time, but it's less, I see it less often. Um, oftentimes I'll see people once they've established a certain part of their they're like established in a certain part of their career they're like i don't know in caving we call we call some of these people um what are they called armchair cavers where you're no longer caving but you sit in your sofa or something uh and you tell people all the things some of those people have really great stories and like it's not a totally negative thing, but it is like this, I have done my time, done my work, and now come to me for the wisdom, which um, I don't think is a very healthy way to live life. <laughs>
Uh, and finally, uh, before JL is coming out, uh, what would you say researchers and scientists uh, who work on some researches and have an opportunity to promote it enough and would love to spread a word, promote it and make an impact, what should they do? <laughs> join your Slack or <laughs> something else? <laughs> Yeah, come join our Slack, um, self-organize. I think that's one of the, I think one of the things I didn't realize until a few years ago is that like together as, if scientists are, if me as a scientist and you as a researcher or scientist, if we all consider ourselves like workers, we're like the people that do the work that produce the stuff. Um, if we all band together and work together towards some common goals, we have a lot more power than we could imagine. So oftentimes people will say like, oh, we can never get to open access journals for all journals because the corporations are so um, wealthy or well resourced. We could never get to a point where insulin is like $7 for every injection because the corporations have like us all figured out if we as the workers or we as the consumers or we as the people self-organize and we're good about that, um, we have this ability or this power to topple some of these large institutions. So yeah, join the Jelly Slack. Um, but I think more important than that is like pick something that's really important to you and then tell your friends why it's important to you. And maybe your friends will think it's important. And then together you'll start to form this like snowball. And at some point we'll have this like revolution that no one will be able to stop. Cindy, thank you so much for your time. Uh, stay safe, stay healthy and have a beautiful day. Thank you for having me. Sure.